0: The Bible is full of images that help us understand the Christian life. In it, we're called part of the army of God. We're told that we're part of the body of Christ. We're Jesus' ambassadors to the world. We're a building being built up into Christ's likeness. He's the cornerstone of that building. We're branches of a vine that is Christ. We're the bride of Christ, the salt of the earth, and the light of the world. And there's many other images that are used to describe Christian discipleship in Scripture. And these images help us. They they help us understand what it's about. Well, there's a favorite analogy of Paul, one of the ones that he really likes, and that is comparing the Christian life to running a race. And Paul uses this analogy at least nine times in his letters. And in addition, uh, the author of Hebrews also uses this analogy in Hebrews chapter 12, the passage we're looking at now. Like a marathon runner in training, the race dominates our life. It becomes the central focus of our existence. It's what we think about when we wake up in the morning and what we live for. And it's so important to us that we're willing to lay aside any encumbrances that keep us from running effectively. We want to run unobstructed. In the race, there's difficult days. There's times we feel like quitting. But we know that at the finish line, the Lord Jesus himself is waiting for us. And so we press on with endurance to run the race that is before us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. As we continue to talk about this race that we're in, I pray that you would inspire us to keep pushing forward, to keep giving you all we got, to give our utmost for your highest, to give it all to you. Lord, I pray that we would run well and be an honor to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're currently in this series on Hebrews chapter 12 titled, Run the Race, that's before us. And Today we're going to be looking at two verses, verses 12 and 13, Uh, and follow with me as I read these. They're written in the context of running. Since we're running this race, we're told in verse 12, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet so the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Again, we have a passage that starts with the word, therefore, and that means that what we talked about last week is connected with what we're talking about here. It's actually the foundation for the instructions we're going to be given here. And the main point of last week's text was that the pain and trouble you experience are not a sign of God's displeasure, but evidence of God's love. And last week, the author was using the analogy of a loving father. We're told that the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. We're told to endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father. And we're told that God disciplines us for our good that we can share in his holiness. Well, today we're going to see that not only is God a disciplining parent, but he's also like a demanding coach or personal trainer who's going to push us to our limits. You know, when we don't feel strong enough to continue, our personal trainer gets in our face and presses us to keep going. You know, actually in this passage, there, there, there are three images that are either directly given or kind of alluded to that describe God in chapter 12, he, there's, there's things that talk about him kind of having the role of a physician, a father, and now a coach. And Timothy Keller says this, he says, in human life, a trainer, a father, and a physician all have one thing in common, they intentionally hurt you. <laughs> How do you like that? They intentionally bring pain in your life. They intentionally frustrate you and bring stress to you in order that you might be healed so that you can grow, so that you can develop and make progress in your spiritual development. And he says, unless you understand that, the kind of wisdom a good trainer has, the kind of wisdom a good father has, the kind of wisdom a good physician has, is the kind of wisdom God has, you're going to have trouble enduring because you're not going to understand why things are tough at times in your walk with God. Now, a lot of people think that when we experience pain, it's God's punishment. And we talked about that last week. We said that that's not the case. Christ has already paid the price for our sins, therefore we don't have to pay him again. The question then is, if our suffering isn't punishment, what good is it? And again, we talked about this last week. The answer to that question is our our suffering has a refining purpose in our life. It's to train us, to mature us. God's purpose in our suffering is not punitive. It's not getting even with us because we've offended him. It's about how God loves us and wants to conform us to his likeness. It's a good thing. In fact, as Paul shares an example of this out of his own life in 2 Corinthians 1, chapter verses 8 and 9, where he describes the suffering in his life. He says this, he says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. They had a really difficult time there. He says, We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure... And we thought we were never going to live through it. That's how intense the suffering was. He says, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, here's what he got from this. He says, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely only on God. Notice Paul's painful ordeal here it was not just about punishment, it had a positive purpose of teaching Paul. To trust not in himself, but to rely on God. God stripped from him the ability to handle the situation in his own strength. Paul was a very uh, gifted person. He's a person who could accomplish great things. But God was teaching him total dependence upon him. And he took him through suffering. And God does the same thing for us. He, He allows us to suffer to promote our growth. God's like a divine surgeon doing surgery to help us die to ourselves so that we might live for him. There's an old devotional writer by the name of Francis Fenelon who wrote wrote several letters. And we have since given titles to these letters. And one of the letters was a letter called Death to Self. And he wrote it to a friend. And he wrote this. He says, my dear sister, I can't express how deeply I sympathize with you in your time of suffering. I suffer right along with you. But still, it cheers me to know God loves you. And the very proof of that he loves you is that he does not spare you, <laughs> but lays upon you the cross of Christ. Whatever spiritual knowledge or feelings we may have, they are delusion if they do not lead us to the real and constant practice of dying to self. The great physician who sees in us what we can't see knows exactly where to place the knife. (laughs) He cuts away that which we are most reluctant to give up, the thing we least want to give up, the thing we cherish the most. He cuts there. And how it hurts. (laughs) But we must remember that pain is only felt where there is life, and where there is life, that's just where death is needed. God is using... These things in our lives for purposes that he has for us. This morning I'm really going to continue talking about what we talked about last week. A God who allows us to hurt in order to produce the character of Christ in us. You know, one of the verses for the great hymn How, how firm a foundation says this. It says, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The flame isn't there to hurt you, it's to to, to burn the dross, to consume the dross, and to refine the gold. <laughs> That's God's purpose in our pain. He's refining us. He's purifying us. So he acts like a divine physician at times. He, last week we saw he was also a devoted father. Therefore, there's the, we knew that no matter what happens, it comes out of a heart of love of a loving father. And today then we're going to see that he also has the purpose of a wise personal trainer in what he takes us through. Verse 11 tells us that, all disciplines painful for a while, but later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. It it has this purpose of producing something positive in our life, but it's for those who are trained by it. And the word "trained" here in the Greek is the word uh, "gymnazo," from which we get our word "gymnasium." It's a place where there's an intense workout. <laughs> We're being trained. Timothy Keller says this. He says, you will not endure unless you see the hardships that come into your life as part of a regimen. They are exercises. They have a purpose to them. The wisdom of God is the wisdom of a good personal trainer. And he asks, you know, what is the wisdom of a personal trainer? Well, you're going to like this, okay? A personal trainer looks at you and sizes you up. And brings into your life stress and pressure to focus on your weaknesses. A good coach will do that. I love the way Tom Landry put it for the Dallas Cowboys when he, when he was a coach there. He used to say, leadership is getting someone to do what they don't want to do. To achieve what they want to achieve. One of our goals in life as spiritual leaders, is to get you to do what you don't want to do so you can be what you always wanted to be. (laughs) Don't you love us? And Timothy Keller goes on and says, What is training? What does it mean to have a workout? He says it means your body is going to be taken beyond its comfort level. Your muscles don't want to do the things the trainer wants your muscles to do. Training is going to move you beyond your comfort level, so you're going to hurt (laughs) You're going to sweat. Your heart's going to pound. The trainer is going to do that for the purpose of making you stronger. And why do we need that? Here's why we need it. The nature of the physical body is that if you only eat what you want to eat and and do what you want to do, your your muscles are going to atrophy. (laughs) They're going to deteriorate. If you're never pressed beyond the level of comfort... Unless you run, unless you exert yourself, unless you push your body just the right amount, not too much, not too little, unless you hurt your body, you're going to hurt your body. I I like that phrase, okay? Unless you hurt your body, you're going to hurt your body. (laughs) And, And your body, what I'm saying is it doesn't just stay fit. Your body has to be continually pressured or it's going to decline. And a wise coach knows this. Timothy Keller says, how do we apply this? He says, unless you see God as your your life trainer, you're going to be confused. And and he illustrates this beautifully with uh, uh, something that he remembered. He says, I can remember. He says, I can't remember where I saw it. It was on some old sitcom. He says, it might have been the I Love Lucy show. I don't remember. He says, well, anyway, on it, someone hires someone they think is going to be their personal secretary, but actually the person comes thinks she was hired to be a personal trainer. And he says, what happens is the very first morning she walks in and he's eating a croissant and she looks up and says, he says, hi. And she grabs the croissant away from him and says, none of that. (laughs) And and he says, this isn't the way a secretary is supposed to work. They're supposed to say, can I get you something? Not give me that. (laughs) He says, of course, for a while, everything's kind of funny because she thinks she's in his life to be his trainer, someone to get him in shape, and he thinks she's in his life to do his bidding, someone to do for him what he wants her to do. And then he says, this makes this rather profound statement, he says, the Bible says almost everyone in this room is going through that every single day of your life. Because we think of God as our secretary, We may even ask him in our life to be our secretary, but in reality, he has come into our life as a personal trainer. (laughs) Why? Because he's God. You see, when it doesn't seem like there's order to your life, when it doesn't seem like your life's making a lot of sense, it's not that there isn't order to your life, it's just that it's not your order, it's not what you want. And that's why things kind of get chaotic. And Keller goes on and says this. He says, one of the reasons why many of you are struggling with God so much is because you refuse to see that the frustrations, the pressures, the the stresses, the disappointments of your life have a purpose behind them. It's all part of his training. The problem is not with him. The problem is that you don't realize who he is, what he's come to do, and what you need. (laughs) Your body runs down without training. The same thing happens to you spiritually. The reason you think God's being unfair, that He's not doing His job, because He's frustrating or disappointing you, is because you don't understand His role in your life. Just as your body doesn't grow, your faith doesn't grow unless it's stretched, unless it's tested, unless it's pressured. Your patience doesn't grow until it's tested. Your compassion, your courage, your commitment, they don't grow until they're challenged. It's like weightlifting. In weightlifting, you find something to resist your muscles until they hurt, and after they hurt, they heal and they grow stronger. If you don't understand that God is like a trainer, you're going to live a life full of self pity and shock. But if you understand this part of His wisdom, you will not be shocked when hard things come to you. One of the reasons you're so upset about your trouble is because you're shocked it has happened. It's not just the problem, it's also the surprise you feel about it. So what he's saying is God's not just our loving Father who disciplines us. He's also a personal trainer who stretches us. He always has in mind a purpose for us that, that he's taking us to. But it takes faith on our part to accept that. It takes faith that there's a wise, loving God behind the circumstances in our life. And so the instruction in this passage is to press on through the pain because it's in the pain that we experience the growth that God has for us. Now, we're going to look at the two verses here briefly. And the first verse tells us to keep running even if you're tired. It says in verse 12, Therefore, you're running this race, you're tired. Therefore, don't just sit down, but strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. And here the author of Hebrews is continuing to build on the image of running a race that he started with at the beginning of this chapter. The picture here is of somebody who's been running for a while, they're wearing down. Kyle Eideman shared this. He says, I I coached my son's basketball team when he was in about sixth grade. And he says the season ended with a tournament. If we won the first game, we would play in the championship on the same day. It was a small tournament. He says, and we won the first game, but it took overtime performance to win it, and our team was exhausted. So there we were in the championship game, and you could tell our kids didn't have much gas left in their tanks, either physically or emotionally. A couple of them had also been sick during the week, and they had been running temperatures, but they weren't going to miss the big game. And so they were trying to play, but it was getting more and more difficult. One of them started cramping up, and he says, and we told him, the way you get through cramps is you push harder. (laughs) So we got him to keep playing. He says, we got to the fourth quarter, and several of the kids were asking to actually sit down. But this was it. This was the final minutes of their season. And there was a cool plastic trophy on the line. <laughs> you know, he says, it, was a, it didn't look much different than the runner-up trophy or the participation trophy that everybody else got. He says, but we still wanted it. He says, and I wasn't the only minister coaching He says, there was another guy there who was a minister, too, and he was much more ministerial than me. He was compassionate and gentle and gracious. He gathered his team around him during a timeout and says, hey, you guys, you've been doing great. You've been fighting hard. I know you're tired. I know you've been giving it everything you got. And he goes on and says, but he wasn't completely ministerial. Because then he kind of shifted into the classic pep talk mode. And he told him, I know you're tired. I know you're worn out. But suck it up. (laughs) Get back in there and finish the game. You've played all season. You've played for this. (laughs) And... and, uh, the guys that were tired looked at him, kind of shocked. And they and uh, he says, you can rest when the game's over. Stop complaining. Stop being so tired. Win this thing. And he says, I watched the boys on their team. He says, I saw a spark come back into their eyes. And pretty soon they stormed back onto the court like 6th and 7th grade Huns sacking a village. <laughs> and they won the championship. You know, I I, I like... To watch basketball a lot, and i 've been watching the NBA playoffs this year and and one of the things that always inspires me as I watch the playoffs is how many players at this time of the season are playing through injuries and in in this playoff season it, it's it 's the same. <laughs> You know, some injuries get bad enough that you do have to sit out and some players have had to step aside. But a lot of other players are playing with dislocated fingers and bruised ribs and twisted knees and back spasms. The season's been long. They're tired. But they play every game with all that they have because with every game, the stakes are higher. And where possible, the players are playing through their pain And the reason they're still playing, even though there's pain, is they value their cause high enough that the pain is worth it. Does that speak to us or not? You know, the longer we're Christians, the more our race matters. But too often we view it the opposite way. We say, I've been a Christian long enough. I'm going to take a break from the game now. I'm going to take some bench time. And my question is, where is our passion for Christ? Where is our readiness to press on in spite of our weariness? Where is our willingness to play through our pain because the stakes are high? John Piper, uh, in one of his devotionals this summer, wrote uh, a devotional called uh, A Summer Mindset. And in it, he, he's focusing on Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 where, he's, where we're told that since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let your mind, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And Piper says this, he says, seek the things that are above. Don't replace Christ this summer with trifles. Flight from Christ into Christless leisure leaves a soul parched. You know, at first it might feel like freedom to to skimp on prayer and to neglect the Word. But when we do, we pay. Shallowness, powerlessness, vulnerability to sin, preoccupation with trifles, superficial relationships, frightening loss of interest in worship and the things of the Spirit. Don't let the coming summer make your soul shrivel. (laughs) Make... God made summer, he says, as a foretaste of heaven, not a substitute for it. If the mailman brings you a love letter from your fiancé, don't fall in love with the mailman. (laughs) He says Jesus is the refreshing center of summer. He is preeminent in all things, including vacations and picnics and softball and long walks and cookouts. Do we want him more than everything else? That's the question Christ gives himself into proportion to how much we want his refreshment. God says in Jeremiah, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. (laughs) So set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. What Piper's saying is he's saying don't use summer as an opportunity to take a break from God. Use the unique opportunity that summer brings to draw close to God, to serve God more wholeheartedly, to focus more intently on him. Bring him into your summer plans. Why? Because the race is still on. We're still in it. Don't stop. (laughs) The stakes are too high. Press on. But not only are we to shore up our weak knees and keep running so we can stay in the race, we're also to kind of prepare the way for those who are coming after us. And that's what the next verse is talking about. Where the author of Hebrews says, clear the road so others don't fall. He says, this, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. In some way, this verse is saying that what we do affects people around us. And the point here is that we must not live with only our own race in mind. Others are following us, and we have a responsibility to them if we're going to live for Christ. All the people who are following God wholeheartedly testify to others that the race is worth running. (laughs) Those who do not follow fully, their life is a testimony that the the race is not that important. And so this is saying, run in such a way that your life prepares the way for the people who come behind you. One commentator said this. He said, his name was C.H. Lang, he gave this word picture, and I'm paraphrasing him. He says this, he says, A weary traveler, tired of the road and the pounding winds, stands dispirited and limp. With shoulders bowed and hands hanging slack, knees bent and shaking, he's ready to give up and sink to the ground. This is what happens to many weary travelers. But one comes to him with a confident demeanor, a kind smile, a firm voice, and says, Cheer up. Stand erect. Brace your limbs. Take hold of grace. You've already come so far. Don't throw away all you've worked for. A welcoming home is waiting for you at the end of your journey. In front of you is a road that will take you directly to it. Keep pushing. Seek help from the great physician for your lameness. Others have traveled the same road. Others are on the same way with you. You are not alone. Press on. And you too will reach the goal, the prize. Happy is the one who knows how to inspire others to finish their race. Happy is the one who accepts their encouragement and doesn't quit. And happier still is the one whose faith is simple and strong so that he or she does not stumble when God's severe discipline strikes. The question we have to ask ourselves is, does our example encourage others? Do you remember how at the beginning of this chapter we we were told that we were surrounded by a crowd of great witnesses and basically that was the men and women of Hebrews 11 who have gone before us and their lives are testimonies to us that the race they were in is worth running. They encourage us to keep running our race because they kept running their race. And that's how they got singled out by God. Their life is an inspiration to us. And and what he's saying here is he's saying your life should impact those around you. When people look at you running your race, do they conclude the race is not that important or this race is worth everything? What do our lives say? How we run either inspires people to run or disheartens them in their race. And when you run your race in such a way that people watching see that the sorrows you face don't rob you of your joy, see that when you fall, you're willing to get up and go again, that when you're tempted, you don't quit, you don't give in to that temptation to quit. When you run your race like that, you speak volumes. You leave a straight path for people to follow. You remove obstacles from the road. You speak volumes about how much Christ is worth. Younger believers, as they listen to your stories, begin to realize that every struggle they've ever faced has been already faced by someone. They see in you someone who has endured the same fears that they have, the same heartaches they have, the same failures they face, and yet you're still running. They observe someone who encountered the same silence from God when they needed an answer, and yet you continue to trust in God. And your life testifies about what you believe even more than you, your words do. According to Hebrews 12, we need to run our race not only for our own sake, but also for the sake of those around us, who, those who follow us. That's a huge responsibility that we have. It's an awesome responsibility. We don't want to be a stumbling block, <laughs> we want to put obstacles in the ways of others. But, and this is equally important to understand. It's also to under, important to understand that we don't just do this in our own strength. That the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us. As, as we wrap this sermon up, it's important to understand that there's a danger in interpreting this passage to mean that all that's needed is more blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> That's not the case. There's something even more needed than that. When Steve Ferrar was wrapping up his book to men on finishing well, he asked a friend to look over what he had written and give his input to it. And his friend uh, read it and was inspired by it, but also concerned about some things. And he shared this word of caution with him. He said this. He said. Chapter 1 is a perfect way to begin. There's a scare in this chapter, a punch in the stomach. There's also a challenge. He says, I think most men love a challenge. The question asked in this first chapter was, will you be one of the ten that really make it? (laughs) He says, that's good. That's inspiring men. He says, my only caution is this. Don't paint it in terms of some he-man effort in the flesh. (laughs) Because we all know that won't cut it. Strong men fall, and weak men who find their strength in another don't fall. We won't be the one in ten because of our own strength, our own wisdom, our own courage, our own perseverance, or any other human quality. If we finish strong, it will be because we have tapped into the ultimate strength, the limitless source of wisdom, the fount of courage, the source of perseverance. He will get us across the line. The very gates of hell cannot cause us to stumble unless we choose to remove ourselves from his protection and his power. He says, I'd like to see a little more hope and encouragement here that we indeed can be the one in ten that finishes strong, but it's not just because of our effort. It's going to be because we have relied continually on his power, the power he's given us for everything we need for life and godliness. And what Steve's friend was saying to him is God's grace is needed to finish strong. We need to cling to him. Remember how we started out this chapter? We're to keep our eyes on Jesus, keep him in focus all the way. This is not just doing it on our own. Back in verse 15, the author of Hebrews instructs us, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Grace is critically important here. It's the grace of God that started us on this road of faith in the first place. It's also the grace of God that enables us to continue down this road and finish our course. You see, when you talk about God's grace, you're not just talking about his grace in one area. God's grace is is his unmerited favor toward repentant sinners, that's true, but God's grace is not just grace to start the journey of faith, it's also God's grace to help us complete the journey before us. Grace is both unmerited favor and enabling power. And it's God's enabling power that seems to be in focus here. You see that when we receive from God not only the gift of unmerited favor, but also the gift of undeserved assistance, the assistance we need to to endure the challenges of the Christian life, that's when we keep running our race. That's when we succeed in finishing our race. And so again, the race gets long, the goal gets fuzzy. We keep looking to Jesus, Jesus who is called both the author and and the finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us not to step out of the race before us, but to continue to keep our eyes fixed on you and to pursue you. Lord, help us to choose to remain in that relationship with you where we are drawing strength from you to finish the course you've set before us. In your strength, we can run the race and we can finish strong. Lord, I pray for those who are weary (laughs) in the battle tired of running, that they would latch on to you, not give up, but push on in the power that you provide. In Jesus' name, amen.